Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. I'm Giles Bidder and I interview bands about their vocations, their occupations, what they get up to between making records, between going on tours. And today's episode is with Mateel. Mateel Brown and Jonah Swilly. Their new album, Georgia Gothic, is out now on Heavenly Recordings. It sounds excellent. The imagery is brilliant. Mateel's voice is heavenly. Did I just say that? I'm sorry. They're on tour in the UK in May, starting on the 5th of May, in Birmingham at the Hare and Hounds, London at Lafayette, Bristol Fleece, Leeds Brudenell Social Club, 
Glasgow or and more. I haven't been there. Manchester Gorilla. And then they're at The Great Escape in Brighton. Find all those dates on their website, mateel.com. And here they are, Mateel and Jonah of the band Mateel on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Cheers for listening. Obviously spend so much time making a record, writing it, the recording, you know, all these kind of different stages. And then kind of between announcing a record and the record coming out, what's that kind of limbo period for for you two like? Well, mostly, I think for both of us, it's a lot of work. I mean, uh, my, on my end, I'm making all this like social media content and helping edit music videos and um, uh, Jonah's doing more things on the audio end and preparing us for going on tour. Mm. So it's, it's kind of just uh, a lot of work that I think both of us enjoy doing. As you said there, you know, it's a, it's a different set of skills that you're using, right? Yeah, I think for, especially from Mathilde's end, um, she's really able to utilize her strengths that she learned uh, from like outside of music. And um, she's able to implement that in what we do with our record after it's recorded, you know, and like, and the whole marketing look of everything is really her, her forte and what she, she brings to the table, which normally people have to hire outside sources for and that's kind of like a really useful piece of of uh of our our teamwork and stuff so it's it's yeah that's really useful from especially from that end from a marketing standpoint i wonder if we're sort of similar ages early 30s where when we when we started bands as teenagers or late teenagers early 20s um that kind of the imagery of it was just the record right? Yeah. You know, it's something that you spend a lot of time making your sleeve. You'd be taking photos with your friends, having fun with it. Um, and obviously now it's like an everyday fucking thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Like everything <laughs> yeah. putting out is representing you. No, but yeah, I mean, think about how much imagery we know about Nirvana. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, we just know the album covers and that's like, okay. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, or like, <laughs> One image of Paul Simonon on a cover of a Clash record represents their entire artistry almost, you know? So yeah, it is different. There are three different posters of those bands that that people have in their houses. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the story with like the Stooges or Iggy Pop, like at one point they were, they were like a big band out of Detroit and there was like one photo of them, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like one photo being passed around that everybody knew. Literally the first time I was fortunate enough to be involved with uh, playing Jules Holland, I was playing drums for another artist. And I remember coming home and working, going back to my catering job. And like, it was like, it was like a head trip, you know, like your identity is for a moment caught up in a performance or a record or whatever. And then you kind of get back to reality, at least from like a fiscal level and you're, you got to get back to work. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I will never forget the feeling of, you know, I had a good job at the time. It was a very good job, but I it was still an office job with like cubicles essentially. And it was right after our Jack White tour in 2018. And I walked into the office and I sat down at my desk and everybody was like, so how was it? <laughs> I was just like, I was like, it was great. And everyone was like, yay. And I was just like, okay. Uh, and they're like, can you have this on my desk by five? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really insane. <laughs>
So, so they, they all knew you were doing that tour. Is, is that something that they'd seen for themselves or had you kind of mentioned it before? Yeah, I mean, I remember telling them about it. I was like, hey, I have to go do this thing. And they were very supportive and really were all very excited. So that was nice. But um, yeah. I mean, going before that, I, I always found as a teenager, um, you know, being a, a punk rocker, you know, I, I sort of been pretty uncommunicative with most people other than my sort of outside school friend group. And I found it very awkward or embarrassing in in your, your in my own way to sort of tell people that I loved playing music so much and I had these ambitions and things that I wanted to do you know at that time it was a summer tour how open were you about it as as teenagers the love of playing music and wanting to do more of it man <clears throat> I remember being in middle school and I was in a band it was in my first band or whatever and uh some girl at school had a t-shirt of ours and I remember feeling like so sunken within myself when I got made fun of because I was in a band <laughs> and like <laughs> and it's so silly to look back on now because it's kind of cool like to be a sixth grader in a band but like uh but yeah but like at the time you're like it's this weird like it, you feel almost exposed um because of your creativity is on the like you can just hear it like yeah I made this thing and now you can listen to it if you wanted to and yeah it is kind of this weird I don't know like self-consciousness involved with it when I was a teenager it didn't feel cool it, it, you're giving yourself away right you're like giving yeah. yourself you're just putting yourself on on show I suppose that's something that does happen when you do lots of interviews um you know is that is is that something that you're aware of have you you know do you, do you speak to each other about that sort of thing yeah I mean I think we it's important for us to you know have some preparation for how how we want to con like uh conduct ourselves i guess but uh on giving things like away in art i think that's just part of it like you have to you have to be prepared for that like part of it's like just letting go i guess of trying to control everything but um with the with the music itself like when you put it out it's like not really yours anymore Mateo as like an individual before like it was known as Mateel, the music act, like was, was trying to record in Atlanta. And I was in a band with somebody else that she contacted him and we were running sessions every week. And like those writing sessions. Yeah. Yeah. We would write. And then um, we kind of had like a little wrecking crew of musicians that we were working with. And so we were excited to work with new artists and um, she hit him up and, we played a gig that night and then recorded our first song together after the show. Um, and that's when I met Mateel. And then like, so basically we became friends after, or became like, you know, more than just studio rats uh, after um, actually getting to spend more time together and stuff like that. That's very Prince to record after playing a show the same night. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it was, it was cool. I don't think any of us were like making a killing at any job or any, anything like that. So we were just making music every day. Yeah. I mean, it was also for me, like an external way of expression that wasn't tied to my job. I mm. mean, I had a creative job at the time, um, which was fulfilling in some way, but then to have this other thing that wasn't like, it, it didn't have limits. Like it could just be whatever. It was like really nice to have that. So if you're tired after working, but you have this thing that you can go do, even if you're tired, it's like, uh, well, we all made the time to meet up this day to do this. So we're going to 
and we all want to do it. So let's do it. <laughs> well, especially when you're working a job you don't like, because <clears throat> then you get out of it and you're like, well, this is what I'm striving for, you know, to do this and, and get paid to do it. And I think that's what it was, at least from my end was like, all I know is to make music. So if, I, if I'm doing anything else, it's just like, a, a, I don't know, a placeholder in my life until I can get to a point where I'm making a living from it. You know, that was the goal. I always liked spreading myself out into different things that I liked doing. Um, like I liked having a lot of different things going on. And I think that's a good formula to have for, for being successful at something because like something's going to work out that you're working at. Like just do a bunch of things. <laughs> I don't know. Do a bunch of yeah. different things that you enjoy. I think a lot of people hold themselves back from doing that, you know, whether it's a self-belief thing or it seems like these kind of constructs around us like work, it's pretty hard to buy a place if you're a freelancer. It's really hard to buy a, a flat in London if you're a freelancer. And, yeah. and so, you know, it really kind of does play into um, the constructs of your life, you know, the kind of basics, doesn't it? There's sacrifices, you know, that you have, to, if you really want to be an artist, like it's not a joke. Taking fun seriously, is it? Yeah, and yeah. then it becomes not so fun. <laughs> like, because it's like, I think when money, it's weird. It's like money gets involved, and that's what you're striving for. But then it makes things kind of shift into this other, like, energy around making music, and or like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it becomes it becomes a job. And I think just the general like having to make money, um, doing something is kind of the setback for me mentally because like it was when I was a teenager, like not because I was trying to make money. It was because I really wanted to make music, you know? The way that the industry is now, uh, it's pretty difficult to make any, any type of money at all off of streaming or anything like that. Um, and like, I'll tell you right now, uh, I'm going to do a freelance job tomorrow at, at 10 AM. Like, cause I, I want to do that and I don't want to like spend my savings. Like I I'm still somewhat doing that when I have the time, like I will be completely transparent about that. I mean, songwriting naturally is, it, it, it comes in bursts, you know, I don't want to make any, you know, how do you write? I mean, can you write consistently and constantly? For me, multitude of, of projects, like working on something else may inspire you or free up your brain a little bit to be like, like if I, I I have a side project that's a hip hop thing, and when I go work on that, it completely frees up the way I look at formulating a song. You know what I mean? And then when I come back to work on Mateel music, it's it's like kind of a breath of fresh air because it, and it just becomes more fun. I think um, creatively to kind of like step out and do and work on things that aren't necessarily all in the same vein. Yeah, that exactly. Yeah. Fresh ears is a is a real thing, right? For sure, for sure. Coming back and listening to something something differently is is, is it um is it is it illustrator work, Mateel? Oh, tomorrow I'm taking a bunch of film photos of some fish. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. How did that job come about? Uh, our friend Skip uh, has a, a restaurant, and he's uh, he's got a. Um, a thing coming out where he's going to have like butchered fish and uh, he needs some imagery for his, his business. So. Yeah. I got a call to be like a, basically a PA the other day. Cause like I'll run, I'll do like, I've done this job over COVID where I drive the van van 
and you go work for like a production company and drive people around. And like I got a call last week or something about it and I just didn't call back because I'm thinking like for the next month, my head is going to be in getting prepped for this tour. And, um, and so that was like a, that was a decision based around just preparation and not so much like not wanting to take the job. It's more so like, I just know that it would be more beneficial to me to spend time getting music ready. You know, is that something that you've learned is a, is a kind of a good thing to do in, in the sort of the last five years since, since the first record came out? Yeah. I mean, it, just because you can work in an overwhelming environment doesn't mean you should. And I feel like I know certain things about myself and like that I know how to prevent myself from feeling overwhelmed. And that's by not taking on too much in a, in a already like busy time, you know? In London, when you're when you start as a group and everything's really expensive, you know, similar for for New York, I think, and and a lot of cities. I mean, being in Atlanta, could you afford to 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 kind of prioritize the music? If it wasn't for my brother, who's also a musician, letting me come rent a room from him, I wouldn't have been able to move to the city. It was like, you know, like that was everything, and I I, I traded him a TV my first month's rent and like the second month, you know, it was like, I was just like figuring out how to make it work until I was getting money. And yeah, I mean, now it's a different story a little bit cause we're older and have nicer places, I guess. But yeah, I mean, Mathiel and I lived in like just rooms. Yeah, no, I lived, my first place I lived in Atlanta was on a street called Hurt Street and I walked to work and my room was $250 a month and I was living with a heroin addict. <laughs> so that was like the beginning. And then it got better slowly. And I still lived with roommates for a while. And now both of us live with our significant others and life is good. Filming and editing a music video for any song completely kind of ruins it for you. It's like you'll never be able to hear the song again normally unless it's like <laughs> you got to give it like 10 years. Yeah, I will say like the song we put out, uh, Keep the Change, a couple years ago in the, on the second record, like when we put that out, I wasn't really sure because I had been editing the video and I had heard it like a billion times. And then like we played it at a show in New York uh, like last year and there were people singing back the lyrics and in the crowd. And I was just like, Oh, whoa, like I forgot about this. <laughs> you know, I forgot about this song, I guess in a way. And it was like refreshing. Am I anywhere along the right lines that the lyrics are about having aspirations as an artist? Yeah. Kinda, yeah. Uh -huh. Is that kind of, was, was there a kind of particular thing in your mind when you were writing that any kind of particular imagery? Uh, I think it didn't really have any meaning, any concrete meaning when I was, it was sort of like coming from a subconscious place, which happens a lot where you, you write something one day and then two weeks later it starts to make sense. Like you're like, oh, whoa, okay. Some, some part of my brain was thinking about this, but I wasn't really fully conscious that that's what I was thinking about. I was just watching the Glastonbury video. I mean, <laughs> playing at Glastonbury is obviously such an accolade in writing but i mean i mean that experience can, can you can you can you remember those few days oh yeah it was awesome <laughs> i mean the day the day we played it what it didn't feel like as big as it was in retrospect because we're just sitting behind the stage and like you're just watching like the tech people set everything up and whatever whatever and um you finally get up there and the crowd looks big 
But when you see the way that BBC presents it, it's like, this looks like the biggest shit ever. Like in like stuff that I've seen on YouTube. So like after we played the gig, there was like this like feeling of like success and like this victory lap of us leaving Glastonbury and the sun was going down. And then we went back to the hotel and then watched it on, it might've been on TV already, but like, it was just like this overwhelming sense of like, whoa, we just did that. And I didn't know we were just doing it like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like it just, it didn't seem as big as it was, you know, but it really, it was like probably one of the, one of my favorite days as a musician, I think. Yeah. It was amazing. I mean, that's, that's, that seems to be such a, such a thing with, with artists is that, you know, you, 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 you put so much work in, into doing this thing, but that, that when something does happen, it's almost like you, you didn't know it was happening at the time. Yeah. I mean, is, is that, is that a familiar story? Oh, it's everything. You know, and I think that's, I mean, sorry, I, I should have let Matilda answer this, but like, as far as like, just general human uh, experiences, like being present is like, the whole, it's the, what you should strive for, because like, you'll have these amazing things right in front of your face. And like, you may not be able to even like, really take it in, in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm it's, it's hard trying to do a better job at it. But it, yeah, like, especially in music, because you spend your whole life trying to do it. And then when something amazing happens, like you want to be aware of the, the importance of it when it's happening, you know? Yeah. And I imagine there's always such a next thing that's coming around the corner tomorrow or the day after. For sure. Yeah. And then like the way that things are on social media, especially it's kind of like uh, everybody's constantly putting out new things to try to impress each other or to try to like compete, it seems. And like, that can really take away from just enjoying your big wins that you have. Uh, and I, I think that's something I, I, I really want to focus on um, as we move forward is just to like enjoy this time because I think it's going to be really good and really fun. And uh, mm-hmm. also a lot of times like you don't quite realize how much the work that you've done in the past is like paying off, I guess, like the last few years, there's Mm -hmm. things that we did like three years ago that pay off late, like much later. And you just don't always expect that. There are people discovering the first record today or tomorrow. I I do this all the time because most of the music that I listen to is trying to find old music that has been like, you know, dug up and like (laughs) archived in a way like later on. And, but those artists become like, alive when you find it and that's what's i mean so like that first record probably means something to somebody that's completely different than somebody who saw us play it in atlanta seven years ago you know i worked at a record store that was like pretty inspiring from the level of like seeing what cds and and lps were going on sale and being like, well, that's the kind of music I make. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I don't know. I was just like, oh, this really cool 60s shit, underground shit is like 50% off. Like, why is that? And it may have been the store I was working at, but like, I had to like overcome that feeling of like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm in the wrong sector of music. But, uh, but yeah, like, um, I mean, basically catering, it's like all the stories are like, remember that time we smoked weed and drank on the job and like oh yeah <laughs> like, yeah and like unloaded a huge van like oh yeah i did yeah, i was like that was pretty much but it was like the like you said like you you have these characters of people and that are like in, ingrained in it, into who i am now that are like i love you know and I, i'm so thankful for those experiences because 
especially as like a 20 year old, that's like, I don't know. It was like a, it was a good time to f- do those things. When you make mistakes, whether it's getting busted, doing a J out of the back by your job or those kind of little things that you learn from. Yeah. They're funny, right? Absolutely. Especially in retrospect. Not so much at the time where you think, oh, this is the only thing I've got. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I worked in a couple of bars and I went, I sold vintage clothes. This is like before I was working as a graphic designer, like full time uh, and also kind of during that time in the beginning. And I worked at a sandwich shop called Jimmy John's for like a year <laughs> making sandwiches. That's a good skill. That is a, <laughs> have you, have you taken that with you? I don't know. I, I, I was just trying to get the, to, to earn some money at the time to like try to live. I don't, I don't know. I, there were, there were funny people that I worked with and, um, and, and funny people I worked with at like this hostess job at a bar that I had. And I, I guess I enjoyed it, but I, I definitely wanted to not do that forever. <laughs> Sandwiches represents a whole lot of love for me. <laughs> I mean, having the work, like a blue collar work ethic to just do shit that you don't want to do is something I will always respect. And I just find, I mean, nobody wants to do that forever, but I think that it really uh, it's a, it, it can be a good thing for, for your character. I don't know. I think there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of people who are quite privileged who almost wish they had that experience. So excited about the record. Sounds amazing. John Congleton yeah, mixed yes. it. Very exciting. Is, do you remember getting the mixes back from, from him and it sounding the way it sounds? Yeah. It was the night I proposed to my wife. Yes. And it was like this weird, like engulfed. And it was like when we thought COVID was like ending. <laughs> so it was like this heightened level of endorphin release where I was like, yes, that's how it's supposed to sound. And like, even like, I think Jeff Goldblum was like the second song we had received. And I was like, fuck yeah. Just like, <laughs> so like a couple of songs we had a tweak or whatever, but that comes with the territory. But he just like really got it and um, elevated it and made it just, I don't know, it was just cool. It was like the first time we had ever had an outside mixer and it was just cool. I was just about to ask if, if you'd ever got, got a mix back that you kind of had to kind of not try and be put on a happy face about it, but just be like, you know, no, it, that doesn't sound exactly the way we, we want it to. Yeah. Um, which I wonder if, if a lot of groups and artists have, you know, when they find an external mixer. Right. And I think you have to balance, like, this isn't me mixing this. This is why I'm not mixing it. So I need to highlight their strengths while still feeling connected to it. And I think like not feeling so like my way or the highway about it is, is pretty important, at least from, I don't know, like that's how I had to be where just kind of like letting someone do their thing. And then you kind of just, pinpoint a couple pieces that are like, Oh, that, that drum mix is a little bit hot. Or like, this is just a little bit tingy or like, you know, like nitpicky stuff that are really quick to fix. Yeah. At what point are you like, okay, no, I've just kind of got to not Man, worry it's like, about that. It's like recording. It's like, I feel like after the, like Jay-Z, I think said that like, there's, there's really no better take after the third one or like, that's me paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. But like, I really feel like that's how it is with mixing too. Like by the time you're on like the fifth mix, the fifth version or sixth version, it's not going to get better. You know what I mean? It's like, you just, you got to really trust the person that you're, that's mixing it. Um, 
and and know that like, all right, well, this is maybe either this is it or we're going to completely shift gears. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And yeah, so looking forward to the album and uh, I'm a big fan of Heavenly. Yeah. Thank you for bringing us on here to ask us these questions. I mean, we usually don't get, you know, the, the most in- interesting questions. So this has been really nice. So there was Mateel on 101 part-time jobs. See you later this week with an episode with Richard Coburn, drummer of Bell and Sebastian. I did realize that I said there was going to be an episode with Buzzard, Buzzard, Buzzard last week. That'll be coming next week. I'm pretty sure. Here's Cox Barrow. I've been working all day for me mate on the side Running around like a blue ass fly I've been working, yeah I've been working all day for me mate This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com